Hello and welcome to the Compassionate Leadership Interview. I'm Chris Whited and my guest today is Mark Michaud-Brown, coach and author of the book Outward Bound Lessons to Live a Life of Leadership. Former Director of Corporate Potential at Grapponi Automotive Group, before that course director at Voyager Outward Bound School. His is a fascinating story because he's used the transformative potential of Outward Bound to change his own life as well as that of others. I think Mark may be my first guest that isn't on Twitter, but should we be surprised? He loves the great outdoors and lives in Hawaii, so why would he want to spend time on the internet? Mark, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. How has your day been so far? Uh, well, I imagine swimming, surfing, climbing <laughs> up a few peaks before breakfast. Well, it's early where I am, so uh, but it's a beautiful morning and uh, just watching the early light here in Hawaii and... Um, I tend to get down to the water when I can a few times a week and enjoy the outdoors here. It's a beautiful place. Can we start with your journey as a leader and then go on to talk about your book? That sounds wonderful. Uh, so you were 22 years with Outward Bound. Can you tell us something about that organization and your roles there? Absolutely. For your listeners who may not be familiar, Outward Bound is an international organization that exists in um, more than 30 countries around the world, and was founded in Great Britain um, by a German-born educator named Kurt Hahn. It came to the United States in the early 1960s, and it's really it's designed to get people into the wilderness, not for the sake of teaching them deep wilderness skills, but really to, to um, um, help them find the, the edge within themselves to be more confident in their lives, um, to help them really understand how to connect better with other people. And the end result that our balance design is to create more compassionate people that really are willing to be of service to others in the world. So I got, I got drawn to Outward Bound as a young adult. I started in a couple um, different startups right out of college and found myself, I, I jokingly say, found myself burned out at the ripe old age of 25, wondering if there wasn't something with more meaning in the world. So Outward Bound was like my running away to the circus experience. I, I took a trip and I was so enamored with it that I decided that that's what I wanted to do with my life. And I I actually started with a Voyager school. I was hired just temporarily to drive a van. They were a little short-staffed when I went in for a visit. And that really threw it through being in the right place at the right time and a set of circumstances. I ended up with a real um, long and wonderful career there. I'm full-time in the wilderness for 10 years and then another 12 years really mostly doing work with organizations, leadership development, and team-building programs. Then after a business course at university that you've just mentioned, you joined an automotive automotive distributor of all things, Grapponi Automotive. I guess that isn't an intuitively obvious move. Yeah, so I, I had, um, as you mentioned, while I was in graduate school, I had a, um, a semester on leadership inside organizations, and I had really sort of penned what, what was the beginning of what later became my book, and also the thought behind how to translate the the um, experiences from the wilderness into an organizational setting. It's what I call expeditionary leadership. And I had, as an external consultant for a number of years, I had done pieces of this in many, many companies, um, big and small across the United States. But 
I was uh, recruited in by the family because the the Grapponi family all had experience with Outward Bound, and they were looking the the fourth generation of owners in the family was was really looking to do something different. So um, I had originally just shared with them my thoughts on what they could do, and then the next thing I knew, they had created a position to lure me to come join the company, and it gave me the chance to. Uh, I spent eight years there, really. Um, restructuring the entire company so you know my my role is um almost in some ways like a guide it was a very organic process we went through and it really de- depends upon the people that are there but we we shifted so in the in the auto space in 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 the united states anyway and i imagine this is in most places um retail auto is really it's one of those kinds of companies that is as fondly thought of as getting a root canal is or the U.S. Congress or lawyers. It's not very well thought of, but we managed to shift that into really a, a very beloved place where people, they would be surprised. I, I, I watched people buy a car and turn around and bring a dozen roses back to give to the staff because they were so happy with the experience because they had never felt so comfortable and cared for by the staff. And that really was um, a reflection of the changes that we made. Would you like to tell us a bit more about those changes? I think sure. one of them was to the salary structure for a staff. That's right. Yeah, when we when we actually started with a, we had a core group of managers and leaders that had been with the company a long time. So we really started on retreat with them, and we we dug into the core about you know okay, you've been with this company twenty years or thirty years. Why? You know, we we got into some deep interviews about why do you stay, and that really got us into the core of. This, this backbone of the company were these people. And, and from that, we we designed a, a really purpose-driven mission that really spoke to the heart of the people that work there. And and it even before we changed the salary st- structure, what was interesting, we came out, we announced to the company this very crystal clear purpose, which was to um, build lifelong relationships with people by by serving them with integrity, kindness, and respect. And and some of our finance managers in the sales department actually quit as soon as we came out with that purpose-driven mission because that's not why they were there. They were there to make money. And over time, what we realized, we were we were re- reviewing all the systems in the company to see how well they did. That. Do they align up with this new purpose? And with the, we, we created a five-year vision for what we intended the com- company to become. And as we were reviewing systems right away we got smacked in the face with our sales process and we actually had a we had a um advisory board from made up of current and former customers and we were sitting with them and they wanted to talk about our sales process and one of the things they said is why why do you sell us a car like this we we love you but we hate how you sell us a car and they literally i can remember this man standing up and talking to a couple of our finance managers and saying you know i don't know you but I hate going in the office with you. I hate talking to you. I hate dealing with you. And that those were his words, right. very strong words. So we took a big gulp and we said, okay, if we're not going to do this the traditional way, because that's why we did it that way, right? Because that's how you do it. We went in search of a different way. And it l- literally led to um, a, we call it, we call it one price, one person model, where all of our prices are posted like any other thing you buy, right? It's here's the price. You can see it online. You can see it in the dealership. Um, it's out on the lots, nothing changes. There's nothing magical or mystical. All of our, 
our added on insurance prices were also fixed prices. So there was no need for anyone to feel like they had to be careful about what they're getting. We were happy to show them what it would cost. We educated people ahead of time. And then ultimately we eliminated both the finance offices and the, what, you know, in the business was called the sales desk. So we did not have the traditional closer that sales manager closes deals. We did, we went through a large turnover of staff for the first year, year and a half. And we went from kind of the traditional car guy that was there to um, a lot of people that got drawn into us were, we were almost 50% women on the floor. Um, All of our stores now have women leaders in them when I left. And we had people who used to be nurses and hairdressers and teachers and retired police officers all got drawn into this model. So what we ended up with was people who were more oriented towards serving other people, people who were really relationally oriented, would make connections with people, spend as much time as they wanted. So if someone wanted to drive 20 cars, then that's what we would do. If someone wanted to to look at all of our models across all of our stores, we empowered our product specialists so that they could go with that person store to store. And that's very different than the typical, you know, group of guys standing by the door who fight over who's going to get to that person and steal each other's deals. And um, all of that was eliminated. Since there was no commissions, um, there was no reason to to fight over each other. We aligned that pay plan with what we wanted, which was how to serve other people. So our, our product specialists were paid um, a, a salary, and then they did get bonuses for the volume that they sold. But it didn't matter if a, if a guest on our property wanted a $5,000 car or a $50,000 car. Um, our folks were not incentivized any differently. So they also treated everyone with respect. Sometimes they actually talked people out of buying cars because they realized it wasn't the right financial decision for them. So they, I, I watched I watched some of our product specialists helping people clean up their credit. And, you know, they just were taking care of people. Really, really, it was, it was pretty inspirational to watch. It sounds like you did a great job. And you stayed at Grapponi for eight years. What made you decide it was time for a change? Well, part of the model that I talk about in uh, in my book, which is Outward Bound Lessons to Live a Life of Leadership. So part of the, the model of the expeditionary leader is um, to empower a group enough that they don't need you anymore. And so while I was at Graponi, I started as the director of corporate potential. Six months later, I was asked to take over two departments. One was a marketing department. So I had a team of three there and it grew to a team of five when I left. And also all of our um, communications. So the we had a team of people who worked all the internet leads as well as phones. So any any type of out, outward um, communication. And then a year and a half later, all the sales departments. So I ended up with a pretty full plate and I was running three different departments at a full, full on pace. And, and I felt really that, you know, what I came to do was to really create this change. And when it felt to me like the change was was there. Uh, part of my training as an old Outward Bound guy is, you know, you you let go of the group and you let them you let them stand on their own. That's the, the truest measure of were you successful or not. If you could create a group that does, no, does not lead, need you anymore, then you've succeeded. So it felt like it was time to me. It was getting more into a, a maintaining time of life. And that's not also my passion. So unlike all my peers, I was on a leadership team of six. All my peers have been there um, 30 years. So I was really the only newcomer, if you will, in my eight years, um, eight years as a short tenure at Graponi. And 
and the book was coming out as well. So I knew to be able to really focus on promoting the book and kind of looking at what's what's next, next chapter for me. The book had been in gestation since your outbound bound days. What, uh, what inspired you to write it and uh, how, how come it took you so long? <laughs> well, life happened. Um, full-time work, marriage, uh, family, all those things showed up and the book, it's funny, it, it sat on a back burner. It would often, I'd think about it. Um, certainly my years when I got to Graponi, it was being put in action. So it was actually seeing things play out. So while I was at Graponi, I kept, you know, I kept thinking to myself, I know that there are other people who have taken these lessons that they learned while they were at Outward Bound and, and have done things in the world. I'm not, I'm not the only person who's, who's worked on this transference. I wonder, I wonder what that would be like. And then I, um, I went to a conference for an organization um, that's called Conscious Capitalism. It's been created here in the States. It's a nonprofit that really focuses on creating healthy organizations that, that take responsibility for the community. One, one of the co-founders of Conscious Capitalism is um, one of the people that um, founded the, the grocery chain Whole Foods. So it's really, you know, it's, it's inspiring people who, who believe in the the I think they call it the heroic journey of capitalism. That capitalism can be for good; it doesn't have to always be for bad. And that's really my perspective as well. And it was a very networking-oriented conference. And I'm an introvert by nature, so I put on my connecting hat and I was out there talking to people. And the last the last morning I was there, I was going to skip the networking breakfast because I was kind of tired of the conversation and I, and I thought, you know, I really, I came all this way. I need to go out there and talk. I got there late. I saw one seat open at a table and I sat down next to the creative director of Barrett Kohler Publishing. We started talking and by the end of the conversation, he, he just looked at me and gave me his card and he said, you know, if you can talk to Outward Bound and convince them that it's okay to tell their tell this story through them because it's a co-publication my book with with Outward Bound USA so um he goes I will I'll do my part on my end to try to help and see if we can get an approval to get it published so that's what re-sparked it uh I had a conversation with Outward Bound and they were behind it and then we went into production mode and a lot of it was getting getting um interview set up since I interviewed um 15 people to try to get a cross section of how people had taken the outward bound lessons into their own lives. And some of them were significant in what they had done in their lives that they were hard to get scheduled. People like Arthur Blank, who is the founder of the Home Depot and, you know, one of the kind of initiated the whole big box store revolution in the United States. And he's in his late seventies. He currently owns a prof two professional sports teams in the United States, but he's a busy man. So it took seven, six, seven months to get on his calendar um, I interviewed a former U.S. senator. I, uh, or, I interviewed a, another um, family that's had a huge impact in the world called the, um, the Kohlers, who the Kohler company makes um, faucets and bathtubs around the world. You know, they're one of the largest producers of things. But they all, all these folks had that same root of outward bound in their life. So it was, it was a, it was an incredible process just to get to meet all these um, leaders and talk to them and hear their stories. So. So that's what brought the book to life. And once we got going, it was about a year in production and I was still working full time. So most of the writing happened at four to six in the morning and we made it work. What's the process that Outward Bound participants engage with, Mark? 
so the model that our that happens with our our bound participants is um, mainly in the wilderness, although not always. Some leadership programs and team build, building programs can take place outside of the wilderness, but um, typically a group of strangers, unless it's a unless it's a company that comes intact, usually it's a group of strangers will go um, on an expedition. So in the beginning, you you meet for the first time, and you typically meet in a wilderness area. And the United States is a big, huge place with lots of incredibly pristine wilderness. And the the role of the hour bound structure is first and foremost to create a community of safety. So there's a conversation just about how we want to be as a group of people. So there there's often a charter that's created. Uh, and you you I think people take that for granted. Like in a workplace, we would do that. We did the same thing at Croponi. You can assume right that everyone has each other's best interests but often they don't and often we don't set any parameters about okay in a meeting how are we going to handle conflict in the meeting how are we going to talk to each other are we going to hear from everyone um, are we going to make decisions based on the loudest voice or are we going to have a voice vote and democracy rules or are we going to have consensus like how will we do this so the beginning of an outward bound course sets those parameters and in addition uh, an outward bound leader does a lot of teaching. All the skills that you need to learn to be able to do whatever it is that you're going to do, canoe or backpack or sail or um, mountaineer, dog sled, whatever it may be, there's there's so much to learn. And and an outward bound instructor is to, to transfer those skills as quickly as possible. So those first few days are often lots and lots and lots of teaching and lots of intervening. So, so the expedition itself is um, is a means, not an end. So if you were if you were to go do a, a different type of organization, you know, you may you may set your goal. I'm going to climb a mountain, and climbing in the mountain is the whole goal and purpose of being there. So as long as you get to the mountain, you know, you've succeeded. Where at our bound, it's more about the process of getting to the top of the mountain is what the leader will focus on. So you're waiting and watching all the time as a as an outward bound leader for these moments to teach. And they may be they may be something like how do I how do I do a J stroke with a canoe paddle? But more importantly, they're more like what just happened when those two people were disagreeing about how to, you know, who, who's going to carry how much stuff in their backpack in the morning. Those teachable moments are what you're watching for. And really the intention is is to to help people learn how to settle these things themselves and by by design our bound courses are physically and emotionally extremely demanding and hard so typically people reach their you know quote unquote breaking point at some at some time fairly early in an outward bound course where they feel like i can't do this anymore and that's when the magic really happens it's that opportunity for people to explore how do i show up mentally and emotionally and we we always believe at Outward Bound that people can do way more than they they believe they can do. And if we create this environment where they're supported by other people, they can push through those self-defined limitations and suddenly find, I didn't think I could climb that rock face, but I did. I didn't think I could take another step. I'm so exhausted. And yet I just walked another two miles. And those are the those are the things that make the magic of the experience happen. And then they do it in community and they realize, you know. Um, we need each other to be successful, and that's the model that that Outward Bound has really perfected for seventy years now. And it and it's 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 pretty incredible to watch it take place inside an organization. And some of the people I talked with, one person in particular, um, he's he works in diversity and inclusion inside 
corporations. And, you know, he's, he, what he said is, you know, all we did is we took, we, we didn't, we don't go out in the wilderness, but yet we took, we took the diversity and inclusion as the, as the wilderness area that we push people into. And that's, that's where they learn, right? They, he works a lot with white male privilege and he teaches, teaches white men in the workplace how to be more inclusive um, for women and minorities. But, but it's powerful because the model stays the same. In my book, I make the distinction between informational learning and transformational learning. Transformational learning being the type of learning that is going to enable you to handle greater mental complexity as opposed to just more knowledge. And um, I completely see Outward Bound as in that transformational learning slot. It's a stretch project, if you like. Yes. Debriefing plays a big role in Outward Bound, doesn't it? Yeah. Would you like to say more about that? And there's formal and informal. So from a formal standpoint, typically, again, this is what leaders are teaching their participants so that they do this themselves. So so it would be typical to start a day with a, a community meeting and to really lay out lay out the plan for the day. And Outward Bound wilderness trips are divided into phases. So you have you have a it's called a training phase. Um, training expedition, main expedition, and a final expedition. And there's a solo experience in there, which is a reflective time. So, so an outward bound leader's role is progressing through those stages. So, and ideally, by the time you get to the final expedition, that leader is really just a safety net, and they're no longer doing any, anything. So, you have to teach these frameworks. So, one of them is you start with that morning meeting. You may or may not have assigned leaders for the day. Um, some sometimes you do that. Sometimes you let it happen organically. But you'll you'll go over things like the route. Where are we going today? What are we planning? If there's any safety concerns or issues, we'll talk about everything from what food will we have for lunch? Is it you know is it accessible in the packs? You don't have to tear your backpack apart when you're you know when you're um, stopping for lunch or break. So you're teaching those things. That all happens in morning meeting, and then at the end of the day the community will come together and you'll debrief the day. So talk about one, how did we do against our goals for the day? Um, what happened during that day? Was there, um, were there lessons or events? Was there, you know, was there a conflict that we needed to discuss? Was there um, a particularly difficult thing that we overcame? What are some leaders will use a thing that um, we call a plus Delta model. So identify the five things that went, the best today and then those deltas what are three things we would do differently for tomorrow what would we like to change um, so that's the formal structure and, and it's taught to happen every single day so every day starts with a with a planning meeting every day ends with a debrief and then there are debriefs around major events so typically in the states we rock climb or we do a ropes course. We do some high adventure events. So it's done intentionally because it pushes people way out of their comfort zones. Most people are afraid of heights. So that's why we climb, not because we want people to become great rock climbers, but we want them to experience that, that what do you do when you're 40 feet up on the side of a rock face and the rock goes blank and you're not sure to where to put your hands and feet. And all of a sudden this fear comes up and, and, you're in a double redundant safety system. So the worst thing that could happen to is you maybe fall six inches or a foot and maybe you scrape a knee or your knuckles. So nothing, nothing more than that can happen. And yet our minds are afraid of that experience. So fear, you know, comes up intensely. So those experiences we debrief as well. And it's a chance to really talk to people 
individually and collectively. It's a powerful thing for someone to work through that fear in community and know that they're still accepted and okay in a work environment that's all often shunned. Like you, you keep your armor up. You don't ever show fear. You don't show failure. Don't show mistakes. And yet, you know, I know as someone who's done this work a long time, that those failures, those stretch places are actually fundamentally critical for people to grow. So you have to, you have to get to those places if you're really going to find out your capabilities. And the debriefing helps people to see that and understand that. And, and it's really, in Outward Bound, those are the transformative experiences. Um, one, one of the people I interviewed is a woman named Rue Mapp, who founded an organization called Outdoor Afro. And she's, she's had tens of thousands of African-Americans that she's helped get out into the wilderness. And she tells a story of her Outward Bound course where it, um, she was on a, a mountaineering expedition and she, she didn't bring her head, headlamp with her. So she it was getting dark and she was having trouble seeing and she just fell apart in fear and the instructor had just leaned over and said to her you know just trust your feet rue you can do this trust your feet and this this mantra trust your feet from that experience that learning moment um after they talked it became it's become the mantra of her life and she says every time i feel uncertain or fear i just go back to that place of trust my feet and let it it led her to leaving a safe career and launching her business, which is now, you know, national and got, you know, gained um, national and international um, recognition for the work she's doing. But all of it came from, one, a teachable moment that the the leader grabbed hold of with her, and two, that, that debrief afterwards where it really, that experience was able to transfer to her life. It seems to me that the uh, Outward Bound experience has had a profound impact on your own life. I mean, you're a transformative leader in your own right. How would you describe that in, impact? Well, I think um, when I, I took a trip as a participant first, so I did a 22-day wilderness experience in the state of Utah, which is um, a week in the mountains and then down in the desert. It's called the Canyonlands, and then um, a week traveling on the Green River in Utah. And it really, um, one, it was an incredible physical accomplishment to to live out in the pristine wilderness for 22 days i didn't i had never done anything of that magnitude before so so as a participant the experience in and of itself was incredible but what i in reflection i was really drawn to the leaders of my trip and i didn't know why and i and this is in the introduction of my book i wrote this that um i didn't know what it was that they had but i knew i wanted that and so I spent a lifetime seeking that. And, and I think for me, it was the first time I truly saw genuine, compassionate leadership where there was no, um, there was no agenda from those leaders except my, my benefit, my growth, my development, and my safety. And it became, um, as I started learning, as I got involved with Outward Bound, I, was, I, I felt so honored to even be in, in the privilege of other Outward Bound leaders when I started that work. And what I discovered was that I had a, I had a natural inclination toward serving other people. I found deep satisfaction in watching people find that, that magic in themselves. And it, it's an interesting thing because if you do your job well as an Outward Bound leader, 
the group doesn't need you anymore. They don't, they don't give you attention. They don't. And yet there's a deep reverence that we learn from each other. And I think I found parts of myself that I did not know existed through that work. And also I'm a, by nature, an empathetic and compassionate person and, and doing this type of work really has allowed me to know that my life mattered and that I've made a difference in, in the world. And when my book came out, one of the one of the great pleasures was actually reconnecting with a lot of people because I was there a long time. And from that, you know, I mentored I mentored dozens and dozens of young leaders who have gone on to the world. And and you you don't necessarily know what impact you've had. And you you do that work for me, I do that work on faith. And I believe I believe that it matters. And yet I got I got to as I was traveling the country, I got to see a lot of them again. They showed up at events and what a just joy to watch what their lives had become and to know that I I played a part in it. So my own transformation, I think, from a wannabe writer as a young adult who was fairly surly and a little cynical about the world and internal to really feeling deep connections with people. Like I'm still a thoughtful person. I'm still, I'm a, I'm a quieter person. I'm not a, I'm not an attention seeking person. So those qualities didn't change. And yet I discovered really that by showing up this way, by practicing these skills that one, I could find a deep sense of meaning and purpose in my life, but that I, I could make a difference in other people's lives. And it's really, um, it's really been a incredible journey. And uh, I think that that, that's what Outward Bound gave to me, really. Every, every, everything good that's happened as an adult, I feel like, came from my relationship with that organization, including meeting my wife and the book eventually coming out. So I'm really, I'm, I'm deeply reverent of who they are. And, and my attempt in the book was to really honor the organization that I, I think, I, I would argue that Kurt Hahn, who founded Outward Bound, has had a more positive impact in the world than any single educator just most people don't know who he is and you mentioned uh, the compassion word in your book you say among the outward bound pillars compassion stands above all what do you understand by compassion and why does it stand above all in your view well i think from my view in the kurt hans designs for outward bound as well as his other education so he he founded uh Zalem Academy, which still exists in Germany, and Gordonston in um, Great Britain, and uh, the World United World Colleges, as well as Outward Bound. But I think the, the the model came from a concern that that as as German society was changing from agrarian to industrial, that and at the time it was all boys, were losing that sense of connection to the land and also connection to community, and so the educational process that was created was to to reconnect people with the importance of their commitment to community. So for me, compassion, empathy and compassion are really interlocked. And I think that one allows us to really fully understand and feel the emotions of other people, but, but then it requires some action. And that compassionate um, service to other people is knowing that I'm responsible for my community and it's not a it's not another organization it's not a government it's like me as a person and and if if I can teach that all of us if we think of each other in how we show up day in and day out then we have a healthy society this is why 
of all of the pillars of Outward Bound, you know, when we say above all compassion, because what, what the intention of an Outward Bound experience is to create a person who can put their own self-interest um, aside for the betterment of their community. Um, certainly, um, actually, Kurt Hahn's grandniece uh, is one of the people I interviewed, and she's working on a book on on um, rescue because Kurt Hahn was really big on rescue. So he taught he taught rescue as part of the leadership model that he used. And so, if rescue means being available, right, to help other people, whether it's formally as a you know I'm a paramedic or I'm a you know a or it's simply showing up when your society needs you in an emergency. And certainly we practice that as outward bound leaders. You never know what's going to happen in the wilderness. And so you're trained and prepared. And and when those things happen in the wilderness, then you step in, right? You take your group and you go out and you help someone else. Um, just like in a community, if a natural disaster happens, you help your neighbor. If you're If someone's homeless on the street, you don't just pass them by. You do something. You take responsibility, and that's why I think it's so incredibly important. It's it's it can look like our world has become more callous or less caring, and I think writing this book reminded me again there are just amazing people out there in the world doing incredible things, and that that to me is that it's that compassion in action. I wrote a I wrote a blog once called uh, "A Saint I Once Knew" about my own music teacher, which was on the very same theme. You use the term expeditionary leader to refer to both people who lead expeditions at Outward Bound, but also to alumni of Outward Bound courses that have taken the Outward Bound philosophy to heart. Who's your favorite example of an expeditionary leader? Oh, goodness. What a great question. I can give you some favorites. I have trouble settling down on a single, but I I think that um, the, the, the breadth of people that I talked to went from someone who was on, you know, the first Peace Corps experience in the United States, and that's how Outward Bound came from Britain to the United States, was to train the first Peace Corps classes. Um, President John Kennedy, actually, his administration was responsible for bringing to the United States. So I talked to a man who who was on the very first Peace Corps, in the first Outward Bound course in the United States, and went on to an, an entire life of serving through education and on the other spectrum, I talked to a young woman who's right now, this year, she's just a sophomore in college. So let me tell you her story. Her name is Delaney Reynolds. And she, her school, she grew up in uh, Miami, Florida. And the school she went to had an adaptive Outward Bound program. So she she was doing uh, a curriculum that let, that let her take Outward Bound courses as part of her school. Very, very... Um, innovative educational process. And she created a, a nonprofit at the age, age of 16 um, to focus on the challenges around sea level rise in the Miami area where she lived. It's a very flat down there. And so she was, she was seeing as a teenager, all of a sudden her, her hometown, the streets were like becoming flooded at certain high tides. And as an idealistic young person, right? She's like, well, that's not right. I'm going to do something about it. And so she, she really, she talked about really finding her voice while she was an outward bound participant. So she created this nonprofit and she found out that the county was getting ready to pass their annual budget. So 
she decided to read the budget. So it's a thousand page document and she read the whole document and there was nothing in there talking about fighting climate change at all or doing anything. So she made her dad drive her down to the meeting and because she wasn't old enough to drive a car yet. And she showed up and she said, you know, it's a, it's what you expect of a governmental meeting, right? It's very serious and men in suits and ties. And, and so she signed up to speak and she, she demanded that the county put a million dollars into the budget to start to talk about combating sea level rise. And she said the whole room laughed at her. And so imagine being 16 years old and all these, you know, serious adults who are elected officials kind of laughing at your proposal. Well, she didn't back down. She stayed at the microphone and she chastised them for their lack of compassion and concern. And she talked about how her life was just starting and she wanted to live in this place and that she wanted to have the same benefits that they experienced in life and that right now that wasn't going to happen unless they did something and she also in some ways kind of gave a veiled threat that she would she would dedicate her life to making sure they were out of office if they didn't start paying attention to young people and subsequently they put a couple hundred thousand dollars in the budget that year for sea level rise she won she won the first round but not only that but if we fast forward now two or three years later um, she's a she's a student at the University of Miami in marine science, but also the county has put over two million dollars into the budget to combat sea level rise. They created a new position, who is the kind of the czar of climate change. Um, they asked her to serve as an advisory board member to advise the city on how to best think um, for in the future. She's spoken in front of the United Nations and she's connected thousands of young people like her around the world who are also combating this to teach them how to stand up for their own rights so that they can combat sea level rise. It's, an, it's, a, it's a powerful um, example of what happens when someone does more than they think they can, stands in their truth, and then reaches out and connects other people. Like all, the, all of the lessons that we try to teach that we're bound all um, beautifully laid out in this, in some ways, very unassuming, you know, giggly teenager who's just like any other kid. And yet all of a sudden this fierce warrior comes forward who, who believes she can do something and is acting on it. So Delaney Reynolds, we should keep an eye out for yes, her. Yes, yes. If you were to conclude your book with a call to action, which I don't think you do, what would it be? Well, I, I actually laid out, I guess I laid out three things in the back of my book. So one is my hope is that people would be inspired to, if they don't experience an outward bound experience, to take the lessons to heart and to utilize them. Um, I think the stronger call for action to me is for people who are expeditionary leaders to recognize um, that they have a skill set and experience that's really, really needed right now. The, the most important part of this leadership model is that when you, you know, outward bound is a nautical term. It's the, you know, when a ship leaves the safety of Harbor, it's said to be outward bound. So you're, you know, you're, you're, if you look at the old maps that were made when the, when the known world ended, they would just sort of leave it white blank. Right. And it'd be like, sometimes they wrote here be dragons on them. Or, you know, it was just like, we're sailing into the unknown. We don't know what's going to happen. And honestly, 
that is where we are right now historically in this new era we've moved into the between the things we've unleashed on um, changing our world's climate to the fact that we we have we have unleashed machine learning at such a, an explosive rate right now that we don't know and we can't keep up with the rapid change that we're going through and it's one of the things i was really quite struck by in the work i was doing in the automotive industry how rapidly everything was changing so when you think of things like whatever star trek or or whatever futuristic sci-fi like th these things are coming true and they're coming true so rapidly that sometimes we don't even we don't even pay attention to the fact that it was just you know it was 2007 or 2008 when Steve Jobs pulled an iPhone out of his pocket that's all that's nothing right a decade a little over a decade of time and look at your life look at my life look at everything that has changed companies that didn't even exist that are now dominating on the world stage when it used to take a hundred years for a company to live a life cycle. Now they live a life cycle in a decade or less. So these things are, are happening at such a rapid pace. And this is the, this is the expertise of an outward bound leader of an expeditionary leader, which is how do you lead a group into the unknown? How do you take them outward bound? Well, there's a, there's a whole set process you can follow. So, you know, I, I would call on those people who are alumni and really former leaders to step up big time right now and say, your, your society needs you. The world needs you. We could destroy ourselves right now or we can become, you know, really into this age of humans to be a connected, compassionate um, race of people that makes the world a better place. We're at that cusp, I believe. So I think it's really it's time for us to make sure that we put put aside those petty differences and learn how to lead together. The, 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 the skills that, that I learned, I think, are just are incredibly important right now. Sounds like a pretty convincing analysis to me, Mark. What advice would you give your 20-year-old self? I think for my 20-year-old self, I would be able to be able to reflect back and say, you know, what a you're going to have an amazing journey to just be present. Don't miss it. Don't miss the journey. The, the journey is the purpose, the moments. Those moments are all we get. And I think it can be easy to get caught up in planning for the future or fretting about the past or even um, even really caught up in career to, to um, you know, I, I what a blessing I had when I look back that I I was actually, I think I was more confused than anything else as a young adult. But I trusted myself enough to jump into this outward bound world. And boy, I can't tell you what a blessing it is to have had so many amazing experiences in the wilderness and, and to live a life where you're so present to the moment with, with the best of people. That's really more than anything else on an outward bound experience. You can strip away titles and job positions. And really, it's, it's human beings coming together and finding the best in themselves and it's it's a magical thing so i think that 20 year old self i'd be like just chill out because you're gonna you're gonna have a great life mark thanks ever so much for your time today i've really enjoyed this journey into what is a really transformative experience i think of outward bound and beyond so um thank you well, my pleasure great talking with you thanks for listening to the compassionate leadership interview if you'd like to support the show financially, you can find me at patreon.com forward slash Chris Whitehead. 
Email me about the show, chris at damflask-consulting.com. You can order Compassionate Leadership, the book, on Amazon. And this episode was recorded on location in Sheffield and Hawaii. And the music was brought to you by 96 Back on CPU Records.